my parents remember their parents cooking for them. I'm really interested in uh, exploring that and making it approachable and interesting for you know a new audience and for some people it's going to be really familiar and really comforting and nostalgic and for some people it's going to be like really new and different. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The Western Australian culinary scene has evolved quite incredibly over the last five years with young operators bringing new energy. With New Zealand closer to the eastern capitals than they are to Perth, how different is the culinary landscape in Western Australia compared to its sibling states? Blaze Young is the head chef of New Rawn in Western Australia. Blaze, how are you? Really well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to have you on the show. You're doing some incredible things over there in, in Perth. And, and in fact, um, Western Australia has just evolved incredibly over the last couple of years. What's it been like being part of that? Um, it's been a really unusual time for us, um, but I think we've been incredibly lucky so far. Um, we've had a great run in terms of what's been happening over here with COVID. Um, but I think it's also really pushed out the restaurant scene in terms of, you know, it's been so stagnant here. Everything's kind of continued going, but no one can leave. So we're kind of trying as hard as we can to keep people entertained and engaged and try and make things look a little bit different and provide that sense of entertainment, I guess, that you can't get from any outside inputs. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible to, to watch the evolution that's going on over there. But you as you mentioned, you sort of you've had it pretty good with COVID until just recently, with everything open up. But what sort of impact has that ha- had in the last sort of month for you guys? Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing for all of us at the moment is that there's just been such a um, difficult time with staff. Like, there's just very few staff, and I think in Perth especially, there's been so many new venues that have opened, and you know, it's such a boom for us here. Um, But that staff crisis is getting worse. And now we're going through phases where half your team's always out because they're sick. So, I mean, I think everyone in the other states is going to roll their eyes, but it's kind of just finally hit us, (laughs) hit us all at once. Um, But we have been, you know, ready for it and prepared for it for a long time. And I think the other great thing about being part of a small community here is that everybody's really reaching out to help each other and, You know, you go and work your day off for someone else who's lost half their team and do some prep for them. And, yeah, it's been a really nice um, time to to be here and we're kind of knuckling down and just getting through it. Has it it brought the hospitality community closer together? I I think definitely, you know, like, again, just trying to keep the Perth scene engaging and entertaining. We're just, you know, trying to do exciting things together and collaborate with each other and, um you know, it's like such a small pool already um, in Australia. And then to think that it's just been Perth the last two years has been a pretty cool time to get to know people and um, do some fun things together. New Ruin is part of the new wave of uh, offerings over in WA. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, well, New Ruin is, um, <clears throat> oh, it's great fun. We, uh, we opened it about a year ago. Um, and I got to open it with a really good friend of mine. His name's Dimitri. Um, and we kind of met about 10 years ago when we were both working in Northbridge and um, I guess a kind of part of the same generation of 
young hospitality people who started as, you know, eager teenagers and have grown up to be um, running businesses now. So I got to work with him on his first venue, um, Fox Rock Unicorn, which is in Northbridge. Um, sorry, not Northbridge, in the city. Um, and it was just so much fun, you know. It was all about just the really incredibly talented staff that he'd employed and just making really good quality drinks and breaking all the other rules, you know, and I really loved that kind of tongue-in-cheek um, fun that he brought to that venue. And um, so I've always lived down in Fremantle and was working down in Fremantle and I just um, – we thought that'd be a really fun addition to the community down here to have something that kind of brought my food background together with his drink background and try and do a fusion of like a bar and a restaurant, um, I guess, that didn't necessarily stick to convention. Um, and there was <laughs> obviously a lot of issues with that along the way as we negotiated which one it ended up being. But um yeah, it's just been a really amazing experience. And I think, you know, as an owner, he gives all of his staff so much autonomy to input into what the business looks like and what it offers. And, um, yeah, it's just been a pretty incredible last year of creating a space and carving out where we sit in Fremantle and what people want to use the business as and what they're excited to come and see. And, yeah, it's been it's been pretty great, you know, to write my first menu and it had all these, you know, a lot of awful, a lot of weird meats on there. And he was just like, yep, no worries. Let's go for it. You know, as opposed to everywhere else I've worked, I've always had to like justify what I want to do. It's just been like, yep, free reign. Um, and I think that's why it's been really special for people because it is something that's different and we're trying some weird stuff and we don't always succeed, but it's definitely been a fun experience. What's the response been like from consumers? Because you, you are blurring the lines, as you mentioned, between a sort of a bar and a, and a restaurant. How, how have consumers taken to it? Um, I think it's really been um, an organic build from the start. You know, like we didn't launch it um, in a loud way. We just kind of opened and waited for people to find us. Um, you know, our restaurants never had a never had a sign out the front. We're not really on the main strip, so it's kind of just spread through word of mouth. And I think because what we're offering is, um, you know, just we try to make the best quality food and drink that we can and people have just respected that and slowly and slowly it's kind of built to this point where now it's just um, almost a little bit too busy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a fascinating menu that you have there and I want to explore that in detail in a little bit, but take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family? Um, I'm so lucky to come from a family of like really incredible women that are all amazing cooks. But um, yeah, my mother was an incredible cook. She, she and my dad lived in um, Sydney together for the first part of their relationship and they kind of lived in the city and every night would be going to a different restaurant. She said she never cooked the whole time they lived there. Um, and then, you know, they up and moved out to the bush in Byford in the Perth Hills where we didn't have any neighbours for, you know, 16 acres. And um, then she was just cooking every night. And I, you know, she kind of brought that 
uh, gourmet sensibility home with her and we just had these most amazing meals. You know, I remember growing up next to her bed, she used to have a stack of gourmet traveler that was taller than I was. <laughs> she would just cook her way through it. So it was a pretty amazing way to be raised. And um, my grandma is, uh, she was also a chef when she was young. So she kind of had that real, you know, classical um, French culinary training. So she'd be teaching me how to make, um, you know, profiterole towers and stuff like that. And, and we, I'd go to our house and hang out with her. So it was a pretty amazing, um, you know, culinary education from the time that I, as early as I can remember, really. Are there any sort of feasts um, that you remember that you can tell us about from when you were young? Well, I think, you know, for celebrations in our family, it's always been like you basically just cook for two days solid. And um, <laughs> it's always been a bit of an extravaganza. <clears throat> and then you finally sit down at the table and you're like, this is enough food to feed like 50 people. Um, but it's kind of always been that way for birthdays and Christmases. So um, I think, yeah, we would so so lucky in that sense of just everybody loves to eat and everybody loves to cook and we all kind of elbow each other in the kitchen as we're all in there so yeah it's been a it's been a massive part of my life so far um and I think that's what yeah it's what gave me the confidence to just blindly walk into a kitchen and be like yeah I don't need to be trained I'll just um I'll just start (laughs) a career in hospitality came a bit later for you but tell us what you were doing beforehand um so I was um studying I was at university for too many years um I was studying to be a lawyer um (laughs) and um I was doing um like fine art history on the side and um was like intent on being a a lawyer or a curator so I was always interested in the arts but you know the pressure for my dad to study law and (laughs) be successful in the family was pretty um pretty strong and then um obviously just to support myself while I was at uni I started working um at uh bivouac in Northbridge um which was such an institution at its time you know it's like one of the first small bar restaurant kind of examples that started in Perth in this little tiny hub in Northbridge you know there was four small bars it was um, mechanics, Ezra Pound, The Bird and Bivouac. And Bivouac was really the only one that had the full kitchen and was doing that kind of casual fine dining for the first time. And we were explaining to people what share food was. And um, so I was doing that and then going to uni and studying law, which you can imagine is like the driest subject in the world. Um, and then, yeah, slowly I kind of just started spending more and more time at the restaurant. Um, and less and less time at uni. Um, and yeah, it got to this point where our restaurant manager left and that position was available. So I decided to, um, defer from studying, um, so I could jump in and take a bit of time off and think about what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, I started managing this like crazy little restaurant hub in the center of Northbridge. And, um, yeah, we had most amazing owners, um, Anthony and Amanda, they were like this really vibrant, um, you know, Italian couple who just like lived for food and drink and, you know, the celebration of that and 
there's so much drinking of Prosecco and like they showed me what a Negroni was for the first time and blew my mind, you know. Um, it was just this like crazy introduction to the hospitality industry and, you know, to come from two people that were so passionate and so involved. And I think being in the centre of Northbridge as well, it was like we were serving politicians and we were serving like artists and um, actors and it was like this really incredible like mix of people that just absolutely loved it and then again like being part of that small community with mechanics and the bird and Ezra it's like everybody knew everyone everyone looked after each other um, that's how I first met Dimitri because he used to run mechanics <clears throat> um, and then yeah kind of I just got completely obsessed with it and Never went back to law school. <laughs> you've uh, you've worked at some pretty incredible uh, venues. Tell us about the sort of the really key moments and people that have sort of influenced the path that you've taken as a chef. Well, um, I think one of the most um, important moments for me was when I made the jump into the kitchen. Um, and when I was a bivouac, you know, I was spending more and more time like being a pest and hanging out with the chefs and asking them questions and like trying to convince them to let me plate up desserts in there and stuff. And they just weren't having it. Like they weren't interested in it at all. Um, and um, at the time down the road, this bar called um, Dominion League had just opened. And um, I feel a lot of my friends were working there. So I was kind of there all the time. And they had this incredible chef um, whose name's Kurt Samson. Um, and basically I just, you know, kept popping in and having yarns with him and was asking him what the best way to get into the kitchen was, if I should, you know, go to TAFE and start learning that way and then try and find a kitchen. And he was basically, he said, oh, no, you know, screw that. Um, we're opening a restaurant um, in December. Um, come and cook for me. So Somehow I took my way into the kitchen and sure enough, I was on the, on larder, on the, online on the first day and we did 130 covers for lunch. And, um, I went and had a small cry in the cool room and then, um, you know, I was up. So he was, uh, he was so incredible. I worked for him for three years and we opened Propeller. Um, and, uh, he's just one of the most generous, um, and patient people I've ever met, you know, he's still the hardest worker in the kitchen um, after cooking for 30 years. And <clears throat> he has this um, mentality where, you know, everything at Propeller is made from scratch. We do butchery from whole animals. We were, you know, um, fermenting things. We were making pastries from scratch. And, you know, even though I never studied, he gave me this, huge culinary education while I was there, like changing things on my section all the time to like, you know, I feel like I got a better education than you would if you had gone to TAFE because, you know, he just had so much time and patience. Like we had a quiet winter one year. Um, so he bought a quarter of a cow in so I could break it down, um, which I don't know if you've ever seen a quarter of a cow, but it was like so big. We had to get six of us to put it on the bench. And then just gave me a boning knife and was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> you know, I think you, you just don't get those kind of experiences, you know. Um, and it, it was really, it was really difficult. I think 
um, you know, I kind of thought that I knew how to cook and then you get into a kitchen and you just like have to unlearn everything that you thought you knew and start again. And I think coming into it when I was, um, I think I was like 22 or something. And I, yeah, I'd just come from uni and feeling like I knew what I was doing and then just be like the bottom rung and, you know, constantly being made to scrub the bins and constantly making mistakes. And, you know, it's definitely a pretty difficult way to learn. But um, I think that's also where my love of like really old school cookbooks came from because I was so determined to catch up with everyone as quickly as I possibly could. I just, you know, go home and just throw myself into, you know, old school technical cookbooks to try and learn how to do things the day before it was put on my section. Cause I was like, okay, I know I need to do this tomorrow. I'm going to read everything I can about it. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where I started to love those really like old school classical um, cookbooks with the illustrations of, you know, how to, uh, you know, kill a lobster and then I'd walk in the next day and be like, yeah, I know how to do that. No worries. <laughs> Do you think there were benefits um, to the approach and um, avenue that you've taken in the industry compared to, say, going to TAFE and and um, and that that way? Um, you know, I think that there has been a massive benefit coming from the front, and I've always kind of done some moonlighting shifts, bartending, or jump on the floor and waitress if they need help. I think like just having that appreciation and understanding of the workload that exists at the front has given me so much appreciation for you know your whole team I think a lot of chefs just feel like their job's the most important and they work the hardest and there's you know I've worked in a lot of places where there's a big divide between front and back of house I think if anything it's just helped me you know try and work on that everywhere I've been to have that appreciation for the machine as a whole I guess um but yeah I was also you know so determined to move as quickly as I possibly could to catch up with everyone because I had this idea that you know everyone that I was working with had already been cooking for eight years and I'd been cooking since I was 16 and always knew what they wanted to do and you know here I was and I was already so far behind I think you know it set me on this trajectory where I was like yeah Every day you have to be moving forward. You have to be teaching yourself. Um, and because of that, you know, I did move forward really quickly. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's been an interesting experience, but I, I kind of loved the way that I got there. And as I said, I was, a big part of that was, was Kurt, um, you know, putting so, so much effort into educating me as well. You worked at Billy H and Lions and Tigers as well. Tell us about that period of time and, and what impact it had on you. Um, well, yeah, Alia Glory is going to be probably one of the most influential people that I've ever worked with. She's really, really incredible. I think, um, you know, that was kind of my second kitchen job after Propeller and you know, I, I lied to her and told her that I could do a pan section, no worries, and then had to walk in and pretend like I could do it. But she forgave me for that, thankfully. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I think working for Alia really um, developed the style of food that I cook today. Um, 
you know, when we were at Billy H, we were cooking this really incredible, like, um, nostalgic, revamped, you know, 70s dinner food, dinner party food. Um, and it was like, you know, it was on these bunky brown plates and she used to call it, um, we're just making ugly food, you know, ugly food that was really delicious. And um, I think her focus was always on simplicity, like how simple can you make it? Um, you know, like a piece of protein with a, a sauce and then there's just nothing to hide behind, you know, it had to be, it had to be executed perfectly. Like that sauce had to be incredible and that meat had to be perfectly cooked because uh, there's just nowhere to hide. And I think um, she really taught me the the beauty of simplicity and how it can be, you know, exquisite and elegant um, or it can be <laughs> so average <laughs> at the same time. It's, it's like there's just no choice but to have that really high level of execution and precision. Um, and, yeah, really like, she taught me how to just take time with things and, you know, like celebrate when your produce comes in and that's stunning and step back and be like, Oh my God, this, um, you know, Kingfish is phenomenal. And just take a moment with that. I think she really, really enjoys cooking and eating and really celebrates every part about it that feels good. Um, and of course she also, um, ever since I met her, has been so motivated to change what being a chef looks like. You know, I think she was definitely one of the front runners in terms of um, trying to <clears throat> cut your hours down and making sure that everybody ate lunch every day, making sure that you had a break. Like if you were sick, you just got sent home, which sounds like it sounds so simple, but it just, um, you know, isn't the case in a lot of places. Um, and back then it was like, you know, jumping down from working 65 to 70 hours a week to doing a 55 hour week was like huge. Um, it was a massive deal. And I think um, that was like a really huge part of my education with her was just how to treat staff and how to get angry at what the, what being a chef looks like, um, you know, and just like really demand change and let's just create a menu that allows us to work less and it's going to mean that we can have more flexibility. And I think, yeah, not a lot of people have, um, I, that I had seen had been doing that. Um, and it's not easy. Like it's not something that you can just be like, yeah, we're going to, you're going to do this because at the end of the day, you have to get through a service and, you know, if you have a surprise extra 20 covers, you know, that's more hours of labor that you need. So it's not something that's as simple as just saying, yes, this is what we're going to do. It's like constantly trying to like, how can we change the structure of this? Or how can we change this roster to look more like this? And I think, um, you know, between Billy H and Lions and Tigers, we worked on that so much together and um, she's actually, uh, stepped out of the kitchen and has gone into policy making. So she's going to try and, you know, change what chefing looks like from from the other side. So hopefully, you know, I think we're on. I think we're on the right path at the moment, but it can definitely get better still. Your menu at New Ruin is really underpinned by incredible Western Australian produce. 
um, championed on the menu there. Tell us about some of the connections that you've made with producers. Yeah, well, um, it was one of the things I was most excited about um, getting to run my own restaurant was being able to reach out to all the people that I kind of met along the way, like call up my goat farmer and be like, yes, we're on, you know. Um, and I think one of the, the best connections that I've made is I spent a year working at Madalena's in South Fremantle, um, which is just a seafood only restaurant. Um, and so I got the chance to like really get to know everybody at Finns. Um, and they're just, you know, they've really changed the game in terms of the quality of seafood that they're able to get. It's unbelievable. Um, and when I was working there, you know, they'd, um, they're only about 10 minutes down the road. So they'd always come in with the fishermen when they were back off the boats and, you know, treat them to dinner at Mads. And I remember just being so nervous cooking for these fishermen, just even more so than you would be for a food reviewer because, yeah, they put so much. You know, we had this fisherman, um, Ben, who, like, lands his fish onto mattresses so that, they don't get bruised, you know, like that's the quality we're talking about. It's just unbelievable. Um, so I think, you know, even though New Ruin started out as very meat focused, it's definitely slowly shifting over to being a lot of seafood um, just because the quality is so high. Um, and, yeah, I think it's also been a really great two years for Perth in terms of championing, champ- championing. <laughs> um, uh local produce because there's just been so many supply issues like Perth is so um isolated and then we had the breakdown of the train line that came over and so you know it was kind of it was great to see everybody turn around to um you know like just even egg suppliers and be like WA only let's go and you know I'm seeing all of them getting to level up their production because Things are so locally focused now. It's really nice to see. Tell us about your cooking and your food and and when you sort of found your voice on the plate. Do you have any dishes that you can sort of talk about that sort of speaks or exemplifies your cooking? Um, I think what's become the signature at New Ruin has been um, uh, (laughs) when we first opened, um, I was kind of playing with the idea of, you know, old school nostalgic dishes and, trying to carve out what um, my food history is as, you know, someone who's been born and raised in Australia. And um, one of the things that I was excited to try was a pie floater, um, which is something that my dad was raised in Melbourne. He always used to talk about this, you know, pie floater and as a kid, it like really captivated my imagination. I was like, what? That sounds absolutely crazy. Like, you know, have a pie that's sitting in soup. Um, and yeah, it kind of just had that, that cheekiness and that kind of, um, playful nostalgia to it, um, that I was interested in exploring at New Ruin. So, uh, it was on the opening menu. I made a, um, a rabbit and pork pie floater with a, um, like, cognac gravy um and yeah it was just it was such a hit um people loved it and it was really fun and different and 
it was a it was a fun way to get people to try rabbit as well because there's so many people that if you put a rabbit in front of them they probably wouldn't take it on but you know just having a pork pie it's like a little bit more approachable I think um and then obviously summer came round and you can't be eating like <laughs> rabbit and pork pie in the middle of summer um so he flipped it to a um a dry aged harpuka pie with like lots of veg and then now we've got a um cauliflower and gruyere pie with like a french onion gravy so it's kind of changed changed its face a little bit but it's always been um a staple is this pie floater and yeah I kind of love it like there's people who look at it and think about you know memories of being over east and eating at the pubs over there or there's people who come in and are like this is crazy how do you invent such a weird dish <laughs> you know it kind of um but yeah it's just fun and I kind of like dabbling in that I think Australia has such a rich history of you know, funny old things that were in vogue and you'd see everywhere that, you know, like my parents remember their parents cooking for them. Um, I'm really interested in uh, exploring that and making it um, approachable and interesting for, you know, a new audience. And, yeah, it kind of hits hits that point of for some people it's going to be really familiar and really comforting and nostalgic and for some people it's going to be like really new and different um so yeah i've kind of had fun with with that it's opening well you're making a, a real impact amongst the new wave of operators over there with what you're doing but what, what do you love about what you do oh um i don't know as i said ever since bivouac i've kind of been addicted to just living in a busy restaurant you know i, I love the I love the fast pace of it. And um, I think even in the short time that we've been open at New Ruin, we have this really amazing um, collection of regulars already, you know, and um, when we were doing the build, I insisted that Dim knock out one of the walls in the kitchen so that I could have a path where people could come up and say hello to me. Um, and it's just so nice, you know, having that stream of people coming in and just coming straight up to the past to order off me of like, you know, what have you got new on this week? And I'll put it through for them. And yeah, it's just such a nice little community hub. Um, I think as well, I think, you know, one of my friends said to me the other day, something that I love about you ruin is it's just so easy to like, just come down and have a drink and, you know, say hi to everyone. And it just feels like, you don't even have to think about it as a decision. And I was like, I think that's one of the nicest compliments I've gotten is, um, you know, that it just feels easy and welcoming and um, like coming to your friend's house and having a drink, you know, and I think that's probably my favourite thing is that, you know, everyone, even though I have to live there at the moment, um, everyone comes to visit me all the time, which is really nice. <laughs> Well, Blaze, it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Mm, thank you so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.